Guns, gear, and training tips from the best instructors around the world. Walther Arms presents Walther Radio. Hey guys, welcome to this inaugural episode of the Walther Radio Podcast. I'm Chris Long. I'm the Communications and Content Manager for Walther Arms here in the United States. And uh, we've got a great show for you today. First and foremost, this episode is brought to you by the Walther 30-Day Money Back Guarantee. You can buy any Walther pistol you like, just about any Walther pistol you like. Uh, shoot it for 30 days, and if you find out that maybe you just don't like it, it's not the right size for you, perhaps you bought an F-Series, you would have preferred the uh, full-size 5-inch or something, you can send it back to us. We'll get you a shipping label. We'll send you a check for the full value up to MSRP, as well as cover your tax there. So um, really, really awesome promotion. It's something we don't get to talk about on social media, and we're happy to be able to do that here on this podcast. Moving on now to some Walther news. Uh, we are still running the Ameriglow promotion where you can get a free red dot when you purchase any standard PDP or PDPF series. That's any of like the black framed PDPs, not the colored frames or the Pro SDs. Uh, and then you'll get a free Ameriglow Haven red dot optic. To learn more about that, you can go to www.waltherarms.com, and that will end on April 17th. So, you know, if that was something that you were wanting to get in on, make sure you go ahead and get that purchase made by the 17th. Now, on to our main event. We have a special guest here today. He was in the Army for six years. He's been a police officer for over 25 years. Spent a bulk of his LE career assigned to SWAT holding positions as a a uh, sniper, a ballistic shield man, a mechanical ballistic breacher, an assistant team leader, and a team leader on a large and very busy regional SWAT team. And he has planned and participated in approximately 1,500 missions, has over 5,000 hours of documented training time, and he is the second strongest man named Bill on the Walther <laughs> Defense Division. Bill Blowers, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. When you said Bill, they're all like, oh, good. It's going to be rapier. And then, oh, it's <laughs> nah, he was busy. Um, <laughs> so we got, you know, we, no, you're, uh, you're always, you're always way up the list for us, man. We're, we're huge Bill Blowers fans <laughs> over at Walther, obviously, since you're on our, on our defense division. So how's everything up in the Pacific Northwest right now? Good, man. It's been raining like heck for several days now. The sun is out right now, but I don't know how long it's going to last. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, we're ready for summer around here for sure, yeah, man. We just had, uh, I'm down in Indiana right now. We finally got some sunshine and, and out enjoying the weather, doing some shooting. So, um, you know, getting to our topic, you and I have had conversations in the past, and that was kind of really what spurred this podcast discussion was uh, what is good enough? Um, somebody goes and buys a firearm, a uh, handgun specifically, and they don't necessarily have any ability level, um, but they might have heard from the gun store guy or, or whoever that, you know, oh, if you can hit a bad guy at three feet or if you can hit a barn door at 10 yards or th there's all these different constraints. And now in the days of Instagram shooters, there's a million standards, challenges, patches, and everybody's this one's better than that one. And it's it's getting to the point where I feel like it's starting to muddy the waters uh, and, and just make getting better seem almost unattainable for those who might not have that much training time. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on the idea of being good enough and, and what that means? So, you know, the, this this discussion almost always brings up some negative connotation because instantly, right, you're saying, what is good enough, right? And, and that paints a picture in some people's heads like we're being defeatist or lowest common denominator type of training or, you know, um, like there's not a desire to be as good as I can be at, at this skills that makes yeah. sense and that that is not it at all um 
I think that for me, what, what, what does that mean? Um, the first thing is you got to define why, why did you buy the gun, right? I think that's a big thing, right? And the defense division, obviously, where focus is on good Americans, you know, having the exercise in their Second Amendment rights, being armed, being able to protect themselves, their families, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so if that is the goal, then I think the, there is a little bit of a realistic thing that needs to take place. And, and I don't think... It, no one would say it's smart to just go buy the pistol and then be loaded up with bullets and put it in your pants and carry it around, right? And have, don't ever shoot the thing. It's you know, it's not a magic wand type of thing. And so I think the base level training um, needs to occur. And I think most people are smart enough to do that. Uh, depending on the state, that may be mandated uh, that you have to attend some type of base firearms uh, uh, training uh, course to get a CCW as an example. So they are concealed weapon permit, whatever you guys call it in your state. And so they may get that base block. Um, but I think that sometimes gives people also a false sense of good enough. Right. And so you're saying I, that and, just because somebody passes their state qualification to get the carry license, that's not the end of their training. Yeah, I mean, it's so the qual is always a you know the qualification is always a funny thing, particularly my, with the police background, right? Because that is obviously the thing that a lot of agencies are focusing on. We have to make sure the guys are qualified. There's a liability to the organization itself, um, you know, to the to the governmental entity that the police or sheriff's department falls under, whether that's the city council, county council. Um, and so they want to be able to document and show uh, down the road that we gave you a certain amount of training, and here is the test that that validates that you have been trained to a certain degree. But qual courses are not generally designed to be hard. They're, they're designed to test basic proficiency with the handgun or whatever the thing is, it, it shouldn't be used as the check measure to say, Oh, that's I'm now I'm good enough. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and so I, I, a couple of examples of this, right. And it's, I had my chronic dislocator of my of my right shoulder for years. It happened in the army, and I never got it fixed. And finally got it fixed as a cop, and blah blah blah, whatever the heck. And so, I full reconstructed uh, reconstruction of the right shoulder, and, and uh, I'm out for six months. And they're like, you know, you can't do nothing uh, until you can. You know, you got to get checked out by a doctor. Go back to full duty. So I go back. I'm doing light uh, duty stuff at our training center and working with new hires. So I can still teach them how to shoot, even though I can't use my right arm, right? And so I'm trying to demo stuff all weekend only, um, you know, as best that I can kind of a thing. And so I'm shooting and I'm shooting a lot weekend only because the right hand came to be brought in operation. And I remember, you know, the recruits were done and I kick them out for the night. I go, I, I bet you I could pass a call course right now. We can't own it. Right. Reloads everything, going to the bucket and, you know, all. And I pass a call course, but we can't own it. And so it, to me, that was kind of a measure. This really doesn't mean a whole lot if you're willing to put in the effort. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a base thing. That is it. Yeah, well, I think that brings up an interesting point, because once you get past uh, the person who just bought the gun, then you get the person, their next level of training is their state qualification. And then you talk to a lot of times the, the guy whose training is, well, my uncle was a police officer, my uncle was in the <laughs> army, and you were in both, right? So uh, is is either of those training regiments that you picked up in either of those two areas, was that good enough? It doesn't sound like it was. So my time in the army was a long time ago, right? It's 30 plus years ago now. And it was peacetime military. There's no war going on, right? Preparation for, for fighting commies coming over the fold of gap and, and that kind of a thing. Um, and my answer is no, that was not nearly good enough. The, the basic rifle marksmanship stuff that we were doing, which is all foxhole based and prone shooting. Um, and then, you know, I, I remember getting like exposure to CQB uh, from Mount, you know, um, 
uh, city clearing type of events, right? So if you had to move into town and, and clear it out, that type of stuff. But I mean, I wasn't a super soldier. I was just a regular, you know, Joe was a, just a, a cab scout. Right. Uh, and so we weren't being exposed to those types of training regimens and quite honestly, not any, even manipulations. It was all just shooting, right? You know I mean, you would get in the foxhole and your grading guy was behind you and they'd say, you know, scan your lane and these targets would pop up and you had to ID them and then you shot them, shot them one time, they would go down and that's it. You know what I mean? We weren't like forced to do any kind of reloads and, you know, clearance of malfunctions and anything, nothing as a, as a time standard. You got showed all about those things, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, coming out of the military and becoming a cop, and we didn't have rifles when I started. I was carrying a shotgun, um, but absolutely insufficient um, for my what I was doing as a police officer, for sure. When I became a cop, uh, and again, the first gun was the shotgun type of thing, and this was the first time being exposed to uh, using a shotgun as a defensive tool because everything prior to that had been just you know bird shooting and, and stuff like that. And even that base level was, in hindsight, pretty dang minimal. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it wasn't until I got on the team, and I think a portion of why I wanted to be, get on the SWAT team is because the amount of training that those guys were getting compared to everybody else was was way, way more, even even uh, the initial standalone team. And so I think for selfish reasons, I said, okay, the department's going to pay me to train more often by being a part of this group, so I'm going to go get some of that that basically free training while I'm being paid to do it type of thing. You know what I mean? Did they left, they um, left you up to your own devices to find those instructors and they just paid for it. Uh, so, well, <laughs> kind of, right. So the monthly training that we were, I was attending, um, was, you know, obviously we had a 10 hour firearm training day and then 20 hours of tactics. Um, within that, the, the team's firearm trainers were providing the instruction on, on the, on shooting. And it wasn't very easy, at least in my agency for the, to go to a firearms based class, unless you were part of the range staff. So, and this isn't everywhere, but at my department, they were like, well, if we're going to spend money on advanced training for firearms, then we're going to send our in-house instructors. And we also had what were called range coaches, uh, but send range staff guys to those things so that they can get the information and bring it back and teach the whole organization. Mm-hmm. And so it was difficult to get outside training uh, that was firearms based at my agency, unless you were part of the range staff. So it was another reason why I joined the range staff is I, I wanted to get, I always thought shooting was important and I enjoy it, of course. Um, but that was another catalyst to get me training bucks from the organization and, and the time to go to those additional courses. Okay, well, I think this is providing good context because you know you'd mentioned that the training wasn't sufficient based off of what your job was, and I want to make sure that we keep this in good context for the average listener, <laughs> the average gun buyer. Is you said your training was insufficient in the military, judging by what your job was or would have been, would it have been a wartime, uh, you know, type of uh, of theater going on there, but. What is good enough then? Have you have you experienced good enough training in either the army or the uh, police for the average carrier? The guy like for you're also a father. Was any of that stuff where you like, OK, this is this is a minimal level of training that I think would be acceptable for the average person going out and looking to carry a firearm every day? Um, the, the answer is no. Right. And, and so I think the the other thing to manage perspective, right? And it's uh, sophistication in training, years in training, um, being very fortunate to to be able to do the things that I did, and then have a uh, a decent training budget that allowed me to attend a lot of training. Uh, having our own uh, range allowed me to then start hosting instructors and and getting free spots for hosting and stuff like that. I mean, so we could we could. I was getting more training probably than the average bear, just based on the facilities that the department I worked for had. The Army stuff I'm talking about, at the time, not knowing anything, right? I'm a 19-year-old private uh, 
you know, joining the army and then being taught how to shoot an M16 and do all that jazz. Uh, I was thinking, okay, this is, you know, they're, they're teaching me how to shoot accurately at a threat at distances from uh, 50 to 300 yards. And so having no con concept or context of what combat would look like, I, I believed I was sufficiently trained. Mm -hmm. Is that you, you with yep. me? And then, of course, now, and this is pre-internet. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, old, I'm an old, old man here. Um, but now you look at, you know, combat footage coming out of, of course, the, the GWAT and, and now combat footage coming out of yeah. Ukraine uh, and, and looking at how violent and aggressive and and completely different than get in your foxhole and scan your lane. Does that make sense? And so while I may have had the ability to shoot a target one time at distances between zero and 300 yards and, and successfully hit them enough to get a passing score to say you are now qualified at whatever level, right? They had three different rankings. Um, I don't know if the mindset piece was there and, you know, how does this apply and what is the context, particularly like a conflict in Ukraine where now you have innocent civilians. Right. I mean, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's going on in there that has less to do with running the gun and more about the mindset piece. And so the physical side of running the gun, I don't think was sufficient based on what I know now. Mm -hmm. But back then, I believed it was my initial pistol training, and I the military. I did uh, what they call fam fire with pistols, right? We just initially it was in 1911 in Germany. I'd go to a range. I think I fired like 20 rounds, and it was just something to make sure I could load it and shoot it if I had to. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but no real. I mean, I had no damn skill with that thing whatsoever. And then the same thing when the Bredas came out. So when I became a cop, my overall pistol experience was very minimal based on the military and what I had done as a younger man, just, you know, plinking cans and cowboy style guns and that type of stuff. Um, I, going through the basic police academy again, uh, and I don't remember how many hours it was, but we, you know, they're teaching us how to shoot, load, clear malfunctions, a lot more manipulations based certainly than the military ever gave me. And so I, I felt like when I graduated from the police academy that I was sufficiently trained to carry a pistol in America and, and, possibly be involved in a, in a, in a shooting somewhere, right. With, in all conditions, I, you know, we're saying like from anywhere from the mall to, you know, on the County road by myself at zero, 100 hours and nobody around. When did you figure out that uh, that was insufficient? <laughs> uh, well, so, I mean, obviously you, you have to pass the qual course at the Academy to graduate. I go off to my agency. They have their own qual course in Washington. There is no state mandated qual course. Each agency can select their own stuff. Uh, and so I'm shooting the department's qual course, which is slightly different, but I also passed that. Um, th that was my first agency. I go to the second agency where I retired from and a little bit more stringent. And uh, it was pretty cool. They, they, they were qualifying four times a year, which I thought, holy smokes, this agency, we, they favor the gun, right? They want us to be good with these things. And the qual courses changed. It was two different courses and they would flip flop. One of them was a very aggressive uh, manipulation, faster shooting, uh, faster being, you know, notional. Uh, definitely wasn't fast by, by today's standards. Um, and then another one was more marksmanship based, like a PPC style course, right, where it was just a ton of time to accurately place bullets in there. And so I thought that the, the variance of those two courses and what they were trying to illustrate was, hey, you know, you're, you're, we don't know what your gunfight's going to look like. It may require a single headshot at 43 yards. Um, so you should be able to do that. And it may be at three hours where you need to jerk that pistol out and fire six rounds in a, in a reasonably short time frame, um, based on a security holster and, and this and that and the other thing. And it wasn't, I don't remember what the time was, but it wasn't like it, nothing like you're seeing dudes uncorking a day, you know what I mean? And definitely not trying to get the whole agency to be at that level. And so 
I mean, probably two years into it, where I'm, I'm now starting to, I guess, dig into what are what are real shootouts looking like? How are they occurring? Uh, what am I seeing on calls that I'm going to where, you know, this guy's been uh, robbed at the bus stop and shot? Uh, you know, robbery occurs at the 7-Eleven and the guy was shot. What did that look like? Uh, some cases where citizens were carrying their own pistols and defended themselves. What did those look like? And it makes you start to just, you know, realize that what you're getting is probably insufficient. And so once I went on, got on the range staff, uh, my, the, the one thing that I, I, I tried to instill in a lot of guys um, as my career, there, there was very few things in law enforcement that I could not fix. And so um, as an example, right, if I write a shoddy report, just not intentionally or maliciously, I just did, did a poor job on it, right? It's just crappy. I, I'm sending that to a supervisor for review, and then he kicks it back and goes, this is a horrible report, right? Make sure you add these things in or your probable cause is weak or whatever the hell it is. And so I could I could rewrite the the narrative. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Not adding, not, I'm not making stuff up, but I'm just doing a better job of describing what I actually saw. You, you yeah. with me on that? And so that could be fixed. And then the final report goes to the sergeant, and he finally approves, and then off to the prosecutors and so forth and so on. So there's there's methods in there to remedy that poor performance. You yeah. with me? Uh, I could I could screw up gathering up evidence in some way, shape, or form, and potentially be able to fix that in some way through my report writing and explain why I gathered it. And then a judge would look at it and go, well, you did screw up putting it in the package correctly. However, that, that would not have tainted this evidence in any way, shape or form. Therefore, I'm going to allow the evidence to come into court. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? At the point you need the gun, there is no makeup. Right. You, you either have it or you don't at that moment in time. And, and so a, a very high gun or high level of gun skill to me became a very important thing because I didn't want to screw it up. Uh, and, and honestly, it's, you know, it's one of the things I never, I, I, I don't know why I never had the thought that I would be killed in the line of duty. I was more fearful that I would somehow miss and shoot someone that didn't need okay. shooting. Is that, you know, yeah. and so I, I think that drove me to try to be as good as I possibly could be, um, with the tools that I'm carrying in my belt all the time. Now, I think the other thing too, man, is sometimes people forget that the shooting is, is, percentage-wise, is a very, very low percentage thing for most cops, yeah. right? There's a million cops in America, and we ain't getting in that many shootouts percentage-wise. And so, like, well, you know, you're carrying a gun, you should be better with it. Okay, I also have to collect clues. I got to right. drive a car fast. I have to do this, that, the other. Then there's just a whole bunch of crap that needs to get done for the average copper. So most of this was being done of my own volition. I wasn't relying on the agency to provide that additional training for I think me. you bring up a good point, though, as far as when it comes to clerical stuff, like you said, people get used to what they're used to. If they're a mechanic, if you know they strip a bolt or something, they break a bolt, you can use a bolt extractor, and it's really not that big of a deal. But if you make a mistake with a handgun, like I said, I'm here in Indiana. We just had a, a mall shooting last year where an armed civilian engaged a guy from, it was like 40 yards, 43 yards. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like the percentage might be however small, but your your cost, if you if you fail can potentially be greater than a lot of people could realistically live with. So uh, I, th- I right. think that's pretty admirable that you saw the writing on the wall there and, and chose to, you know, elevate your, your skill level just based off of those facts. Right. You know, so, I mean, we're kind of getting, what, what is good enough on the cop side of the house at the, in the, within the gun industry and the, and guys that shoot a lot, they, they criticize the police proficiency with firearms often. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I always bring up to him is that all, all cops shoot better than most people. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying within the gun industry or within the shooting community, 
I'm talking about the 330 sure. million Americans that are living their lives right Gun now players. every single day. Yeah, the vast majority of people in America don't even know how to load a firearm. So to say that cops are poorly trained is, is kind of a, it, it's not factually correct if you're thinking about the bulk of people that there are in America that don't even know how to, how to what to do with right. a gun. Does that make sense? Within the shooting community, we, we start to become, a, and me too, right? I'm like, man, you guys suck. And I, it's one of the things I do in class. So I'll walk down the line and look at targets and say, you know, mailman might be a good job for you. Fireman <laughs> is also a good you know, and just trying to joke with guys a little bit to, to lighten them up with that. But they're not shooting horribly by any stretch of the imagination, man. It's, you know, there's room for improvement. And so I think that's the other thing on the cop side is dudes specialize in a lot of stuff. I just happened to gravitate toward the tactics and firearms uh, stuff because it was interesting to me. But other cops, I mean, I came and hold a candle to some of them fellows that are, are doing crack investigations and, and solving crimes, liquidly split. So there, that's the other deviation of this stuff, you know what I mean? Is what is good enough? Um, and is it good enough for them to, to solve crimes and potentially defend themselves? The answer is probably mm -hmm. based on what most people are capable of. Um, it was just insufficient for me. So at what point, right. At what point would you say, um, it sounds like it was while you were a police officer. Did you say, I'm not going to be a, um, a gun owner anymore. I want to be an enthusiast. What was it? Like you, you said that you, Realize that the writing was on the wall as far as if I'm going to carry a gun, I need to be as good as possible with it because I could potentially not only be at risk myself, but I could put other people's lives at risk if I miss a critical shot and, and I wind up shooting someone that doesn't need shot. At what point um, did you say I'm going to push into enthusiast level? Because you're not like if anybody listening hasn't seen you shoot, you're, you're a phenomenal shot. You're very quick. You're very accurate. And uh, your B8 scores prove that as, as well as your uh, <laughs> I believe I am talking to the. Uh, what was it? The Washington state champion IDPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah, 2012, my, just my little division. I did not win the whole now, day. I, you don't have, now hold on a second here. You don't need to sell yourself short. I just set you up for success there. People were impressed for a second and a half and then you, and then you, state you, champ, you chopped sure. off your own legs there. Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I, the, the big catalyst was the SWAT team and the additional training. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I mean, so I, I remember getting hired at the agency that I retired from. And uh, like I said, we had our own range and, and very much an agency that favored the gun. We were doing a lot more than most agencies were doing on the firearm side of the house, which I thought was great. You know what I mean? It was kind of opened my eyes. And, and I was fortunate to have a good mentor. Our range master at the time um, was a phenomenal shooter. I mean, guy had been around, seen, seen everything, uh, you know, former Special Forces guy and, and all this jazz. And uh, But I remember him telling me, hey, man, you can this agency doesn't care how much you shoot. We, we have the facility that will catch bullets, right? So the, the, the resource of a range is available to you 24, seven, 365 is an indoor range, right? So there's no worry about it. you can shoot on graveyard at three o'clock in the morning. No one's going to care. That's pistol and rifle. Um, and we also have an abundance of bullets. So no one here cares if you shoot until you're knee high in brass every single day of the year. And, and that's exactly what he said to me. And I remember thinking, Oh, really? I'm going to test that and see what happens. Right. Um, and so I was initially working graveyard was just one of my favorite shifts to work. And it, like in a lot of places around three o'clock in the morning, uh, most stuff dies down. There's still criminals out there breaking into cars and doing stuff, but there's no people to see them or report them. So you generally don't, okay. you know, you, you just don't as often. And so at 3 a.m., all my paperwork was done, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would go on the range and, and shoot for an hour, right? Just leave my radio on. Of course, I would leave if there was calls for service coming in or that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, I was able to shoot a lot. Um, 
and and I think a chunk of I was looking at the stuff that I was not doing well on the call course, right? And one of those things was the accuracy at distance piece was challenging for me when I first What's started distance, out. What's distance? Just so I have an idea. Twenty five okay. yards. You know, 20, keep keeping them in the A zone of a of an okay. target at twenty. This is again. This is way way back in the day type of thing. Um, and so I was, you know, the typical stuff where I'm, you know, as a as a fairly mildly proficient shooter that whole low left thing was coming up right my pre-ignition flinch was was causing me uh, rounds to go low left and and do all that stuff and i remember just spending an inordinate amount of time trying to work out my trigger control uh, and getting rid of my pre-ignition flinch so that i could put balls where i wanted them accurately and so i think i was doing i was shooting a lot and i was getting better there's no doubt about that right um but it was the process was taking me forever because I didn't really have any guided or no one was there to show me how to improve faster, mm -hmm. right? What are you trying to accomplish type of thing? And so I was already attending outside training, you know, outside of my organization and going to, uh, to classes. Most of those were police oriented type firearms courses, right? With different police trainers or military guys, um, going around the country and doing stuff. And, uh, so I'm working on that. And I, I remember, being told often that dry fire was important, but I didn't really know what that meant or how to implement it, right? So I would do stuff on my days off, you know, put on the cop belt and I'd go in the garage and make a safe space and hang my vest up as the backstop and all that kind of crap. But my dry fire would be no shot timer, nothing. We didn't have mm -hmm. shot timers because we had a turning target mm -hmm. system. And so I would just very slowly and methodically draw the pistol out there, click. Oh, that was a good one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know what I was doing. And and I kept hearing it. And, and so finally, I remember one day thinking about it and, and, and in my era of the army, the long going on long runs was a big deal, right? That's how mm -hmm. you, you kind of crush the souls of, of dudes, right? Just take them on these long runs and, and see if they would fall out. Do they have the mental, you know, side of the house to just stick with it, even though it sucks. And it dawned on me and I like running today. And I, you know, I got fairly fast at running distances. Um, and the way that the army got me to do that was to run. Okay. I didn't, I was not being provided training on how to run long distances better. So nothing about breathing, about stride or about, you know, any of that stuff. Um, and it was always the same thing, right? Go run four miles, dude, about an eight minute pace. Right. And that was, that was it. Um, and so the same thing was occurring with my shooting. And I realized that I had been conditioned to do that. Just shoot, dude, just go yeah. shoot. If you want to get better at shooting. Um, and I remember when that hit me, the, the, and it was in the range. It was one evening. It was just an epiphany. I was like, "Dude, I'm a, I'm approaching this just like the army taught me to run. And what I need to be approaching it like is is my career in athletics, right? As a young man playing sports and trying to get stronger. Mm -hmm. I mean, been lifting weights for a long time, uh, you, you know, doing that type of stuff. And I thought, okay, so if I want to get stronger at the deadlift, for as an example, right? The first thing is to make sure my technique is solid so I don't hurt myself when I'm trying to lift heavy. Um, but then at some point you get a baseline and this is what I'm capable of deadlifting today. And then if I'm, if I want to improve on the deadlift, the dumbest thing I can do is deadlift every day for the next three years. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a dumb plan. And so with that, okay, I'm going to add in some squats some you know, some steps or weighted step ups, uh, you know, obviously some deadlifts are going to come into that, some cleaning jerks, all those things are supporting the activity of deadlifting even though it's not deadlifting. And then I'm keeping track of how much weight I'm able to push or pull in, in all of these different weightlifting type events. And when, I, if my objective is to get stronger, if I hit a certain amount of sets and reps, then the next time I come back in that exercise, I'm adding weight mm -hmm. to it. Does that make sense? Cause I want to get stronger. And so it dawned on me with, with my, uh, my dry fire and my dry fire practice that I need to be establishing baselines on stuff. What am I capable of right now? 
given distance, given accuracy standard. Let me actually put it on a shot timer. Yeah, right, which, measure it. Yep. Yeah, okay, so I can measure exactly what I'm capable of doing at this point. Uh, and, and then start tracking stuff. And then if I'm not meeting the goal that I want to meet, is it, is my workout helping me toward that goal? Or am I just doing, going back to the Army method, of just keep drawing and shooting one, homie. Right. Right? You'll eventually you get a second draw versus is there stuff mechanics that I'm not working on that are going to support that thing down the line? Um, and so I, th that's one of the things that I do in the classes is we spend a lot of time gathering data, just where are you at today? Yeah. And it's, you know, going back to the original question here, man, time and resources is a thing. I was fortunate to have all t duty time as well as on my days off, I could drive up to that range and have all of the bullets I wanted to shoot, right? So I had plenty of that available to me. But if I was not a cop, if I had gotten out of the army and become a milkman uh, or whatever, there's other things that may have interfered with that process and, and the speed with which I was able to learn and or do or figure stuff out on my own. Does that make no, sense? No, it absolutely makes sense. And I, I've seen, I've seen your class several times. And one of the things that I think you're kind of getting at is uh, your ability to, to show people how to break things down to where they can, they're not just spending rounds or, or even just wasting presentations is you're teaching them how to train. You can't, uh, you can't do a five-second draw or a four-second draw a million times and hope to have a sub-second draw. You show people that it's important to learn how to miss. If you can't miss in one second, you're never going to hit in one second. And one of my favorite things that you do at your class is I think uh, the last time I saw you do it was in Texas, and you, you told people, you're like, we're just going to stand totally to the side of the target. We're not even going to be aimed at the target, and you're going to shoot Texas. I want you to shoot Texas in you know as quick a time as you possibly can you put them under the timer with a large accuracy constraint i mean texas is huge but it's still an accuracy constraint <laughs> and then you start to kind of walk people back from there you either decrease the size of the target or you increase the distance from the target and uh you know from from that standpoint it, it is exactly what you're talking about you have your heavy lift days and then you have your you know your high rep days but showing people how to train properly so that they wind up saving I mean, literally thousands of dollars in ammo and training and travel and all of that stuff was huge for me to see you teaching at your classes. So I thought that was very, very cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely the chunk, right? Now, I think it, the police background is what helped me establish how this, how I'm doing that. Because in police land, you'll generally go to a class and they try to stuff a bunch of information into the short time frame because we got to man the streets, right? Mm -hmm. You got to get back out and work the road, bro. Um, and so... You get a bunch of information and now it's up to you to continue to train that or practice it if you actually want to improve. And so I'm trying to stuff a bunch in, but the biggest thing is exactly that. I want you to understand what it is you're trying to achieve, set reasonable goals, and then get after it. And, and not everybody has the resources I have with a, a range that is available 24-7 and all of the bullets I wanted 24-7. But everybody can dry fire, right? When the kids go to mm -hmm. bed at night, rather than watch the rerun of Friends, maybe you can you know, spend 30 minutes doing a little bit of dry fire work. Um, and if you don't know what it is you're trying to achieve, then, then dry fire becomes boring or it's just not fun. And, and dry fire to me is one of the funnest things I do now because I can just set the, the, the timer on a delay, put a par in there, and can I get it before that second beep or mm -hmm. not? And all of those reps are obviously benefiting me, right, as far as the manipulations go and the hand speed and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and so I think there is that, that piece of the training, I think, is valued, particularly for the coppers. And I, I do think, man, so that my first exposure to competition, to enthusiast shooting, was I had gotten bored with police-based training because it was always the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And 
I mean, different ways of saying it and, you know, that kind of a thing. And maybe this guy has a different drill than this other fellow and whatever the heck it is. But it's, essentially, it was the same crap. Um, and, and crap sounds, you know what I mean, same stuff. Um, I, I don't recall going to a police-based firearms class and having a shot timer ever being broken out until I went to this first class with Todd Green, who's dead yeah. now. He died of cancer years ago. But, uh, you know, I remember getting hold of Todd and I was looking for some training to go to and I see this class coming up. It's at a civilian range. It's close to where I work. And uh, I'm just kind of intrigued by it, right? The name of the class was Shoot Fast, Hit Fast, which is would be cool, right? right? That's that's a cool thing right. to be able to do. Um, and so I got a hold of him. I said, hey, man, I don't know if I'm really, you know, should be coming to this class or not. I'm a, you know, I, or if you're the competition guy and, you know, I'm not wearing the kind of, you know, magnetic holsters and all this cool guy stuff. Can I attend in my police gear with the pistol I carry on duty? And he's like, bro, you can carry, you can bring anything you want to my class. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care how you carry it. And, you know, we'll cover all that stuff. Um, and I think the other thing too is because the, it, within the sh shooting community, there's a whole bunch of stuff where, you know, coppers are, they suck and they, they don't shoot good. I think a lot of cops avoid civilian training as a result of that. Um, however, that has not been my experience. Every single class I went to with enthusiast shooters, they were always very welcoming, always willing to help a brother out, always willing to let me, you know, be the slowest guy in the line or whatever it was. Um, because they saw that I was interested in trying to improve, man. And I, I, almost everybody in the shooting community, if they see that you're trying to get better, no matter what your current scale level is, they ain't, no one's going to give you a ration of crap, man. In fact, it's the opposite of that. And so I think that's the next piece. I go to the basic pistol class, right? What's good enough? I go to basic pistol class. They show me what the pistol is, how it works, sure. you know, the, the fundamentals of marksmanship and all that kind of jazz. Usually a little bit in there about concealed carry and some, you know, legal considerations and that kind of stuff. And then I think people get a little bit intimidated to go beyond that. Um, and, and, and I don't think they should. I, I think they should go out and experience. And that class for me was a huge eye opener. The time and I remember leaving there. Huge eye opener? Okay. Yeah, the time brain class, man. And, I, you know, I had never shot at the speeds that he was asking guys to mm -hmm. go. You know, I mean? because I didn't have to. Right. I mean, you know, plenty of time and in the call course. over to window to what was what fast was or what accurate was. Yes. And now, and there was, and Todd obviously was both of those things, right? Mm -hmm. That dude could run a gun. Um, but there was also a couple of dudes in the class that were flat getting after yeah. it. And I remember thinking, holy smokes, man, look at what these guys are doing. Now, I think that it also helped me because I ended up being the high shooter in that class. Right. But I Brag remember passing it. the fact. Yeah. Well, that, and I remember passing the fast test, right? And in, in, in the time, I, I can't remember, I was the high shooter in that class, and I think he still has it on the website, even though he's dead, whoever took over the website for him. Uh, but I'm listed in there, right, as the, for that class as the mm -hmm. top dude. And, and it wasn't that I was the fastest, I just got all my hits, and those other guys didn't, even though they did it faster than me, type of thing. Um, but I remember shooting it, 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 being done with it, and I looked at the target, and, and all the hits were in there on the fast drill. And then he gave me the time. And I think it was five and a half okay. seconds, right? It was not, it was not coin worthy or anything That's like that, but run. it was really, really, it was fast for me at that time. It was crazy fast. And, and when he said the time, I just remember going, holy shiza, right? This is freaking awesome. What has occurred in the last three days. And it completely changed yeah. my perspective of stuff. Uh, that then dives me deeper in the enthusiast side of the house. And I think some of the stuff with some people were, you know, you hear rule of three, right? In uh, three rounds, three seconds, yeah. three yards uh, type of stuff. And well, the statistics say this and the odds say this and, you know, that kind of jazz. And, and I think it starts to stymie some people so they don't want to. Do you think it stymies them because it makes them comfortable? It means they don't have to do anything? 
Yeah, I think there's some of that, man. Right, some of it could be time and resources. Again, they don't have the you know a bunch of ability to get to a range and, and the, the money to purchase ammunition and and do all that stuff. And so that may also stifle some growth. They also probably don't know what they're doing with dry fire, so that part right. goes to the wayside. I guess that's um, that's and, what and we're trying I, to do. Is I want to take that person um, who who does want to get better, but they just don't know exactly. Like you're talking about, they don't know of the Todd Lewis Greens, or I think now I, th I believe Ernest Langdon is the the keeper of the fast coins. Um, they don't know about the right. Bill Blowers, the Scott Jedlinskis, the Tatiana Whitlocks, the Jim Dexters, the Bill Rapiers, uh, the Nick Youngs, and and the Mark Smiths. All of these people, more than well qualified enough to take people from really any skill level, and push them. Not just to say the next step is is selling you guys short because you're not taking the next step. You're literally showing them the path to what you experienced, which was the path to being a shooting enthusiast. You were, you were just right. a gun owner at one point, And then taking this Todd green class gave you the path to be, I mean, what you are now, which is a, a Washington state IDPA champion. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. There is no doubt. I mean, that's, that class was the eye opener. And I remember being so hungry for, you know, any, any of those types of, of dudes that were coming into town, I was trying to get to those classes more than the police based mm -hmm. ones. And they, and you also get opposition to it, right. Depending on what your camp is. And I mean, I've had dudes in class say, you know, why are you shooting these bullseyes when, you know, the data says, if you don't shoot a humanoid type mm -hmm. target, then you won't be able to you know shoot somebody for real, real. You're trying to prep your brain from that. That's been debunked. That's nonsense. Uh, you know, that type yeah. of stuff. Um, and it's just some of the stuff is just wildly interesting to me, right? So the tactical side of the house, um, some just say, well, you know, that, that fast shooting's cool and all, but. Ain't no beeping you know, a gunfighter. Yeah, ain't no beeping a gunfighter. What if there's people around right. or, you know, the penalty for missing is higher than, you know, you, you hit the backstop, you know, and, and didn't hit the target at all. And, and, and that, dude, that's a big red herring. Mm -hmm. You're making an excuse because you don't want to put in the effort. You cannot dispute that a .10 shot to the eyeball, right. that level of accuracy, that is better than a 1.5 second shot to the eyeball. It's, it's better. The accuracy standard was yep. the same, but it's better. I got it done way, way damn faster than you. And so if this gunfight was equitable, I'm winning because you ain't coming back from that shot to the eyeball. Does that yes. make sense? And, and so I think there's some of that that goes on. The flip of that, though, is there are times when you have to be deliberate, too, right? You, that shot, this is a low percentage shot, and the penalty for missing is high. So even though I might be able to do it in 0 0.10 seconds, I can't do that today, but I believe, and I can't do a 0 0.10 eyeball shot, by the way, it's just an <laughs> example. My opinion is that if I'm getting success doing that on the flat range, then my slow and deliberate shot That's is only, only 0.5. Yes. Or whatever, you know what I mean? It's still fast you as hell. You are gaining a surplus of skill that you can apply to any size target or any size amount, of, or I guess any time constraint. Yep. And if you've never done it, so you know, you're talking about shooting Texas. Um, it's in, when I do the, a lot of the cops, of course, are coming with with uh, level three retention. You know, SLS mm -hmm. hoods, ALS hoods, because department policy. Um, and once we, I tell them, I just want you to shoot Texas or whatever state I'm standing mm -hmm. in, right? Just shoot the burn. I don't want you looking at a target because that's going to slow yep. you down. Just get the gun out, normal kind of presentation, right? Uh, and, and just fire as fast as you can. And you'll watch dudes, their grips are crappy when they're drawn at that speed, right? Because they're not used to it. The ALS triple pump is the one that I make fun of all the time because they're not used to moving their hand that mm -hmm. fast. And so they end up missing retention and a bunch of mistakes start to happen. And they don't understand until you illustrate to them the reason that those mistakes are happening is because you haven't had to perform at this level right. before.
and it is the functional equivalent of me saying, I don't know what kind of a driver you are, Chris, um, but uh, hey, man, tomorrow or, or right now, me and you are heading over to the NASCAR track and you're going to get in the NASCAR and you're going to go 200 miles an hour. Good right. luck, dude. You will not be successful, right? And if we were, if I was training you to be a NASCAR driver, I wouldn't make you go 200 miles an hour the very first time on the track. We might just do 50 mile an hour laps and talk about, you know, how the suspension is mm -hmm. working, tr transmission kick down, all of those different things, and then gradually build you to the speed. But you have to get there, otherwise you would never be successful driving a car at 200 miles an yeah. hour. You know, you know what I mean? And so some of this stuff, I think people need to work on and maybe to some degree too, there's a, there's a, if you, I live in a safe town, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's obviously I'm, you know, trying to live in a safe place for my wife and kids to grow up and live their lives and do whatever they're going to do, right? Without being overly concerned about being robbed every two seconds or whatever. And I think sometimes people are carrying a gun for the right reasons, but they, they get lulled into a lack of, into a bit of complacency because things haven't happened. Does yeah. that make sense? And so, well, is it really that important? Well, you know, I, do I really want to spend the money on the bullets when I, you know, I could update my house or I could buy the new whatever the hell and, you know, this and that and, and other priorities start to trickle in there, man. Well, you could take that so, argument to different extremes as well because, you know, you find people where it's like, well, I don't need to carry a full-size gun. Uh, I might as well uh, carry, you know, three tourniquets and, and pull an ambulance behind my back. You know, at what point does it become too ridiculous? I do think that the deeper you get into this, the more you become again sophisticated about what could happen, right? And um, and so I think you need to be both things, right? And you need to be an Olympic grade marksman, the guy that spends you know two minutes and fires one shot type of thing, um, and he's putting it into a very very small uh, accuracy standard, right? So I think you should be able to have some of that capability. I think you should also be striving to be a, a USPSA grandmaster because the things those guys do with guns is 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 remarkable. There is nothing different between me and Mark Smith. You mentioned him, right? He was a GM physically, right? We're both, we're both human dudes. It's the amount of effort he has put into uh, that makes him faster than me, man, which I think is the, the next consideration. And that is, I, I, I want to shoot as fast and accurate as I can, but I don't have any aspirations to be a grandmaster in competition. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and that's not saying that, that if you, that's you, that that's a bad thing. Um, but as we've talked before, I know dudes right now that have never shot a classifier in their life yeah. and they, they are absolutely shooting at the master level. They just, but they don't know it because they've never That's been a, to It's a, a lifestyle commitment for sure. Like I have nothing but respect for, yeah. I mean, we have world champion shooters on our shooting team. Keeping in mind your average mechanic, your average, your average Joe. Um, what is good enough for that person? Can we both agree that there is never really such thing as good enough and they should always try to get better? Correct. So what can get us from them going into a gun store to at least seeing uh, an ability level where they're going to get hungry? Some, they, maybe they go take their first class and see the path. Do you think that the answer is to first buy a shot timer? Is that? So yeah, it's been saying for a long time, if you're not training with a shot timer, then you're not mm -hmm. training, right? Um, and it, again, on the cop side of the house, right? My, I am now, you know, citizens and everybody are coming to the classes and this and that, but my early years as an instructor, when I, my first company, um, which was tactical training and consulting with a friend of mine, and we were doing some gun classes and, and things by then I'm already using a shot timer and doing some stuff, but I'm a, partly, as you said, been in my class. So I, I break them into groups, right? And there's guys running the shot timer. There's guys shooting the thing, whatever it is. And there's guys recording data for the guy that's doing the shooting. Um, a big portion of why I'm running six shot timers on the line is to also give you reps of how to use the shot timer. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And so 
I'm sure, the easy one is okay. Just draw the pistol and fire a shot, right? On the beep, do it. Beep, pow. Right? Okay, that time was this. But then I'll put that in, into a drill, and I'll say, okay, let's let's see what the drill did to your time on the draw. So don't just look at the overall time on the drill. Go back and get all of the information within the timer. Did for some reason did your draw time get affected by this drill? Did it slow you down or whatever? And if it did, why is that happening, right? So let's let's figure those things out. And, that, and without the, the timer, I don't think you can figure that out. On the cop side of the house, I'd be like, okay, I used to ask, what is it? And I still do some, you know, what is a good time, mm -hmm. right, for your organization or for you to be able to draw a pistol at seven yards and hit an eight-inch circle? What, what, as a class, what are we going to say to establish as a standard? And this is always comical to me because I'll have a guy go, uh, five seconds. And we haven't put on anything yeah. on the timer yet, right? I'm like, okay, five seconds, all right, right? And so then, and then the next guy will pipe up, I think a quarter second, and I'm like, sweet, <laughs> legit, right? Let me get my phone out and videotape this crap, and then we put both. Everybody goes on the timer, and I'll usually go back and find those guys. Was it five seconds? No, I'm actually, I'm about two point seven five, right? I'm about two and a half, two and two, two seven five. He has no concept of how fast he can draw the gun, obviously because he believed five seconds was going to be a smoking right. fast time and very little effort. He's, I mean, he's already doing it. Does that yeah. make sense? I didn't go to the quarter second, man. Quarter second working out pretty good for you? <laughs> right? like, oh, man, it's like one and a half, one, seven, five, you know, one, eight. But in his brain, he thinks that's a quarter right. second. So without the shot timer to validate it, he has no, neither of those guys has a clue of what they're capable of doing at this moment mm -hmm. in time. And, and so I think it's important they do. And that's for manipulations, your split times, everything, right? I mean, it's uh, qualification courses, I, I, and whether it's the every man going for the state qualification, if your state has some type of CCW qual or not, or you go to the guy's class that's going to give you your basic pistol shit or pistol uh, um you know, pistol quality validate that you are good enough essentially to carry concealed on the cops. I also, here's one of the things I bring up, right? So I'll, I'll ask a class, right? And you usually got some cops in there. All right, qual courses here. Um, give, give me your up close, fast portion of your qual course. What, what does that look like, right? And they'll generally speaking, uh, you know, three yards, full silhouette target. <clears throat> you got to keep them all on the silhouette, right? Can't miss entirely and, and kick one out into the white or, you know, off the cardboard or something like that. Uh, but you got to draw and fire five rounds in three seconds and keep them within that thing, right? I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's a lot of area to miss, right? Uh, three seconds for five rounds isn't uh, really fast, but it's, you know, I, I, I'm down if you have the accuracy. Like I said, put them in the X-ring. That would be impressive, right? Five rounds and three seconds all in the X-ring um, type of thing. But I always ask us, I say, okay, so where in your qual course am I determining how fast your draw is and what your splits are? And they just like, I'm crazy. And I go, is it possible that that guy's draw is taking him two seconds to get the first shot off? And then he's just capable of running quarter second splits, mm -hmm. right? So that gives him the five rounds in the three seconds and, and he passes, you know, he's good to go for the call. And they're, yeah. I go, okay, so is that two second draw, is it possible that that could get him killed in the streets because he can't get the gun out fast enough? And the answer is, well, yeah, right? Yeah. Depends on what the context is, of course. But yeah, I said, is it also possible that you got a guy that's jerking the pistol out, getting that first round out in 0 0.80 as an example? Because the actual standard is gigantic, right? right? Just keep him somewhere right. in Total here. Splits. But he can't... Con yeah, he can't control the, the gun. And so now he's running whatever the math is, right? Half second, 0. 0.6 splits. 
is it possible that his inability to run the gun fast and maintain a level of accuracy also could that get him killed in the streets? And the answer is yes. And so if that is the case, then let's isolate those skills and figure out what we need to do on, in each of those areas to improve upon. And without a shot timer, I can't, you can't, I, I have no way of gauging that. I just know you've got five rounds off in three mm -hmm. seconds, but it could be you're hurting on, on one end or the other of that spectrum. So I, I do think you need to measure it. But I also think for the everyman, that that's another hard pill to swallow because a I got to go to the public range pow 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 all around me and getting all kind of wonky times on my shot timer. You're asking me to spend another you know hundred range thirty to hundred eighty two hundred bucks for a shot timer. Um, you know it's another cost involved. Uh, to, and and what is it that you're trying to achieve? Well, so let's let's frame it this way. Uh, let's say we have a hypothetical person. We'll call him um, John or something. John is a mechanic. He just bought his pistol. Uh, we're, we've, we've agreed, we think that the next possible purchase or the next best thing for him to do would be to uh, f at least find a way to measure his performance, whether that's buying a shot timer, but there are like, there are free apps um, that you could use, especially in dry fire. Um, we want to avoid uh, any kind of noise pollution or whatever, even just, just mental pollution from a public range. So uh, that also lends itself to dry fire. Um, so I, the next step beyond that, I know you mentioned eight inch circle a couple of times. What, what target should this person start testing their performance on? And what are some of the things like drills or, you know, draw to one shot? Uh, wh what's the next step then after that for this guy? So, I mean, we, you and I talked about this previously, right? And it, for people that don't know, I mean, you're no state champion uh, like yeah. myself, but you're no slouch. <laughs> you're no slouch with the guns. And so the previous conversation that you and I had on the phone was what are, what are some performance measures, right? Mm -hmm. What, what does that look like? When is it, you know, is there a gauge of good enough type of thing? And, and the answer is, I don't, I have, I don't think anybody has ever cracked that that egg, man, it's because yeah, you can put, there's stuff that you'll put in there and say, well, this is a baseline performance measure. Um, but is it really, you know what I mean? It, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, I don't know if I would ever gauge it as that, you know, that this is sufficient. And I, I think that's part of the problem is it's just hard to say what is going to be good enough, particularly when you add in the fact that a, a lot of this becomes moot if, a, if you live in a fairly safe location, that's not to say that anywhere in America, you can't be, you know, violently accosted by somebody. But if, if, if you're living in a spot where there may be a rare occurrence, then, then the priority becomes less and less important. The second piece is, is how are you carrying the gun? Well, uh, you know, I, I am a lady and I carry it in a purse because the way I dress for work, it doesn't allow me to carry it on me or whatever the hell it is. Right. So I have to drag it out of a bag kind of a thing. Well, that's obviously going to cost you time versus me openly carrying in a in a in a class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where I think was that's a carrying class, uh, and, and so I like to do baseline things, um, but I want that to cover all spectrums, which is a thing. Uh, again, another epiphany that I had um, when I was in the street crimes unit doing stuff, and I remember I'm carrying plain clothes now, right? So been a, been a uniform patrol officer, I think, at that point for like seven and a half, eight years or some crap. And I'm told, hey, man, you got selected to go into this street crimes unit and this is plain clothes and, you know, you're doing street level, um, you know, uh, dope buys. Uh, we were doing the auto theft stuff. We were looking for chop shops and fencing operations, doing prostitution stings and that type of thing. Um, but I'm carrying a gun concealed. And I remember the very uh, my unit was supposed to provide me with training. So I rode with a, a, a guy for about a week 
uh, and Tessie, you know, he was teaching me about, you know, this is kind of the investigations that we're doing and, you know, blah, 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 mm -hmm. different than a patrol officer. You're not tied to a radio anymore. You're supposed to be looking for trouble on your own. You know, here's the spots where trouble occurs, uh, that type of crap. But I remember um, my first night sewing that and thinking this police department has never provided me with one minute of concealed carry training mm -hmm. at all. I, you know what I mean? And none, at that point, none of our detectives who were carrying plain clothes were required to qualify in plain clothes. They would bring their cop belt up strap on the cop belt over the suit and then shoot the normal patrol call with the patrol belt on. You yeah. know what I mean? And so what dawned on me is, okay, as an example, right? I wanted to hit our, our uh, patrol call for case chart was a humanoid silhouette looking thing. Uh, and then had kind of a USPSA uh, 10 ring mm. was the maximum scoring zone. Does that make sense? So that, I, that's what I was trying to do is keep all my bullets in that area uh, during the call and whatnot. And so I'd been working on speeding up the draw from the patrol rig and this and that. Um, and now plain clothes, I'm okay. I got to get this cover garment the hell out of the way, right? Where's the pistol at compared to where I'm normally carrying it? How does that affect yeah. my draw? And I'm finding out that I'm not as fast out of that gear as I was out of my open carry patrol belt, even though I was that, that uh, holster was a retention holster because there was a lack of familiarity and training with it. And so it, I think a good standard eight inch circle, um, or, or whatever, any of the, you know, targets that are out there uh, type of thing that give you a reasonable scoring zone, like the USPSA A zone, IDPA A zone, which is eight in a circle. Uh, what's the USPSA? Five and a half by 11, like I think. That, yeah. that, something like that, whatever the hell. Um, so, at, and we'll say we're going to shoot that at seven yards, but we'll, we'll say that a, uh, what we're hoping you're able to do is consistently hit that zone in 1.5 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. Sound okay yep. to you? I mean, obviously I can be faster than that. But I, I think that would be a reasonable goal for most people to hit. Yeah. Agreed? Okay. So now, and maybe just to be, plant this into everybody's head. So as a patrol copper, hey, Chris, welcome to the department. I'm going to try to get you drawing and, and hitting that zone in 1.5 seconds out of your patrol rig. Now you go into this plane close assignment. It's still 1.5 seconds. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that make sense? The, the standard doesn't change. And so you're, uh, you get assigned to this plane close assignment. Uh, 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 assignment I, I get you there in 1.5 but we're doing it on a 75 degree day uh, and you're wearing a t-shirt mm -hmm. but you work you know in the middle of the night and in the winter time and when it's raining and this and that and everything so standing at the bus stop waiting to buy dope with just a t-shirt on might be a little bit right. weird so put on some clothing now and let's see if you can also do this in 1.5 seconds and then switch work right so if it's low light half the time is in the dark if you're carrying a wet amount of light you have to activate the switch, which is going to cost you some time depending on how you're doing it. Um, but it's still 1.5 seconds. Right. And so for me, it's all spectrums, all environments, all the time. But to start with that spectrum, that you have to start with a baseline. Correct, right? But I, I think sometimes do start to chase the 75-degree day. Right. Look how fast I am. And, but then the minute I tell them to put on the heavy parka, it, all of a sudden it ain't that no yeah. more. You, and it's upwards of three seconds potentially because they're not used to fumbling around with all that crap and getting it out of the right. way. Lots of dudes carrying wet mount lights now, right? So when they come to the NVG class and we start working switches and doing stuff, I'm recording the data. Here's, here's We did a little bit of work in the mm -hmm. daytime. This was your average. Now that's nighttime or the switch has got to come on and how much slower are you as a result? The standard is the yeah. standard. You with me here? And so I think sometimes dudes will see Instagram. This is a golden age of training, right? There's a million good trainers out there. There's a ton of information on the internet. 
And so dudes will see these super spicy times with a one second draw, sub one second. So I mean, dudes doing some phenomenal crap. Uh, and they're like, well, that's, that is what I want to do. And they neglect the other parts of it because I think everybody's grabbed a gun for defensive purposes. Yeah. I would say very few people never fired a gun before and thought, I'm going to be a world champion, right? right? And, and begin their country. journey with that in mind. Well, I mean, it's rare, right? And so I think if you put that back into context that we all picked up a gun for the, 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 the first reason, which was defending ourselves and our families, you got to make sure that you're capable of doing that in, in, in all expressions. The stuff you're doing manual of arms should include you fighting in your underpants on that, from that handgun that's sitting on the mm -hmm. nightstand. Does that make sense? I'm not festooned with 100 magazines on you all of the time type yeah. of thing. You know what I'm saying? And, and so uh, I, whatever you're going to establish as a standard, a drill, a specific thing, whatever the heck it is, I think you should be looking to be able to do that in, in all environments and all of the time regardless of the circumstances. And if you can't, then maybe you need to quit worrying about a 0.8 draw and maybe a 1.5 draw is good enough depending if you on, can well, do it in all of them. And the environment and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I went, but that means I have to spend some of my time working switches dry fire, right, right with that shot time. Beep, beep, did I get it done or not? And if it's the switch issue, is just a lack of familiarity and training with it, so let me start incorporating the, the, the switch yeah. work. So so John the mechanic then goes to the range, he's got a shot timer, and now he needs to start setting himself a baseline. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what his target is, as long as he can, I mean, if even if it's just a standard bad guy target, cool, I'm going to use his face. I'm going to use, you know, I, I've shot up his face, I'm going to use his hand, I'm going to use the gun. Like, as long as you can constrain accuracy, um, and then start to measure that time kind of goes back to your, um, your weightlifting that, you know, if, if somebody's lifting weights and you say, Hey man, cool. What's your PR? Like, oh, I don't know, man. It was heavy. It's like, you had no way to, you didn't read the, you didn't read the number on the side of the place. You have no way to measure it. You can't measure it. Then you really have nothing to report. Like, I don't know. It felt pretty heavy. It's just like, I don't know what my draw is. It, it feels pretty fast. Um, ha yeah. having a baseline, it sounds like then is going to be this guy's next step so have a baseline yeah and then start to improve on it because you can always improve it it could always be faster it could always be more accurate you, you will never reach that ceiling so um this right so here is a so i guess as a right we're talking about maximum point type of accuracy mm -hmm. standards that makes sense so perhaps a good starting point would be as fast as you can i need you to keep it within the c zone mm -hmm. from seven yards yeah. let's do that Right. And so if it takes me four seconds to make that shot, then that's currently what I'm capable of, even though I could keep it on this uh, within the, right. you, you know, the Ipsic target, uh, it, I could do that faster. But there, there's a whole bunch of D's out there. Uh, you might be pushing the speed mm -hmm. envelope too much because the actual piece isn't coming off the right. Now, once you can, you know, whatever your baseline is, right, I want to do that in three seconds, keep it in the C zone. OK, cool. Now, don't be satisfied with that. Keep it in the Z, C zone. But let's see if we can reduce that to two point five. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And then down to two. Okay, so now you're keeping them in the, T, uh, in the C zone in two seconds. Maybe then the next logical step is rather than going faster, let's keep them in the A zone. Yeah. Same time. There, there's an exposure to speed that is extremely important. And I think that that was one of my big turning points in my pistol training was learning that missing was okay uh, as long as it yep. was within the realm of, of learning and, and educating myself. Because I was like, well, if I paid for bullets, I want every single one of them to count. And to me, a miss didn't count. But if I was missing and learning how to apply the speed that I used to miss that shot to then, you know, like we, we mentioned earlier, raise my surplus of skill in speed, apply that to an accurate shot. I have, I've now taken a one five A zone shot from seven yards down to maybe a, a one two or even a one second uh, A zone shot from seven yards. So 
Um, Absolutely. That, that, one of the things in the class, right, when we're into the draw piece, right, we hit shoot Texas, and now we're going to mm -hmm. back up to seven yards, and now you got to shoot the, a, a BA, right? The, the eight ringing in is my standard. Mm -hmm. And I tell dudes, if you aren't getting misses, then you are not doing yeah. this right. And a lot of times, particularly with coppers, they look at me like I'm crazy because that, that means Pat failing the qualification mm -hmm. or that means missing out in the field and potentially, you know, harming someone. And I always bring it. This, ain't, this is not that, mm -hmm. dude. You, you're trying to compare something to what we're doing. We're doing flat range work right now. So if you're not trying to push the speed envelope, then you don't know how fast you can go at this point. Yeah. And you got to just sometimes go fast. Like I was with the draw, right? You, you're missing retention. You're getting a, a bad grip. All those things are popping up because you're not used to going fast. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge area speed. where people have a lot of breakthroughs. And I'm sure you see it in classes. I've seen Scott Jedlinski's class a dozen times at this point. Um, just having permission from the instructor to miss you know, you, most people won't even give themselves permission to miss. But when you go to a class, you pay for their expertise and they say, hey, look, man, we, we just want you to shoot the ground. You know, uh, Jedi's got shoot the berm where you do bill drills into the berm. There's not even a target there. Having uh, having an authority figure saying it's OK to miss kind of gives you that permission that frees up your, your mentality, I, I suppose, to allow yourself to unlock that next level of speed. Yeah, yeah. I, me too, man. There's a million, and you're, we're mentioning instructors, and everybody's kind of trying to do the same thing. And I, and I think anybody that's teaching on a national level, um, the class may be structured slightly different, but the message is almost mm -hmm. always the same. We're all trying to make the same thing happen. And, I, you know, it, it's just, I do think sometimes, man, that the, the A zone is also an inhibitor of some stuff. Uh, and I've been saying for years that, you know, that for, for the longest time, for a guy to run a four-minute mile was considered impossible. Mm -hmm. And now you have Kenyans running three-minute, 13-second miles in marathons, right? I mean, we don't know until we, we press the envelope. And, and so I, what I've been saying forever is I wish USPSA would come out with an A-zone, a, a bonus A-zone, the super A-zone, whatever the hell you want to call it, um, where you get more points for hitting that area. And somehow it is... It would be equitable if you can do it really damn fast and maintain that higher level of accuracy. You're going to win. Does yeah. that make sense? But the, on a you know the A zone on a, on an Ipsy target, the shot up here and and diagonally to corner to corner, those are the same exact value, but those are right. dramatically different levels of accuracy. Um, and so I've been saying it forever. And then it was interesting to watch Tim Heron pop up, and I you know I don't but he, shooting the A zone of an Ipsy a bill drill into the head box mm -hmm. A zone sub two seconds and he did it right i mean he's like that is astonishing yeah. speed and accuracy right yeah and so i i think as, until the competition world starts demanding more on the accuracy side and i don't know if they want to or care to or whatever um i, I don't know if we know what is capable at this point but there i will bet you there's somebody out there that can run a, a sub two second build drill into a dollar you know a silver dollar size yeah. target uh if they just the effort into it yeah it's interesting you bring that up too that you you talked about todd green earlier and i don't want to misattribute this i'm almost positive it was him though he came up with rules for a thing he called the kind of sort of tactical game and one of the rules of that game um was if you were to shoot a target twice one of those shots had to be in the a zone or the entire target was a mic i thought that was a very cool rule i, I was like i could get I, I thought i could get behind that but um that way you don't have people who are shooting you know quick charlies and beating people who are at least taking their time. Because again, you know, go back to it. It's all coming from people who are buying guns as defensive tools. Right. Um, I would, yeah, you, you want to, I would imagine you would want as quick of accuracy as possible, not two Charlies. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, what does the every man need to do? Um, I, like I said, I don't know if I have the answer to that. And I've seen a lot of guys try to define it and, and no, I and think we have stuff. I would, 
I disagree. I think we ha- the the goal for everyone is to be uh, more accurate, faster. That's everyone's right. goal. I yeah, think yeah. what, what but, we want to do is show but, that person how is that attainable because people don't know what their step is. I bought a gun. I just took my state qual or, or you know my carry license qual. Um, what do I do next? We now know that we'll, again we'll go back to John the mechanic. He needs to buy a shot timer. He needs to set himself a baseline with that shot timer, and he needs to set himself a accuracy constraint with on his own target, whatever that may be. I would posit that moving forward from there, if he wants to, you, he can even by himself challenge the world with uh, the amount of information that's out on the internet. We were talking about Todd Lewis Green earlier in the fast drill. You can go on the internet and find Excel spreadsheets full of people's fast drill times. You can start comparing yourselves to those people. But so here's the thing, though, in Todd's class, it was also structure, which I think is what you're getting mm-hmm. to here, right? If I want to be the deadlifting champion of the planet. Well, I, I don't just go buy a deadlift bar and a million pounds and think I'm right. lifted. There's you have to structure that and, and work toward okay. the goal. And and the same thing with the, since you brought the fast drill up as an example, I believe there's a seven and a half second time yes. frame that he says, if you can do it in seven, then, then that's great. And I don't know, I don't know if he gives you anything or, or if he used to give oh, you anything, pin. but that was great. Uh, my, yeah, I think it was, you're right. You got the little, yeah, you got your, his little mm-hmm. pin. And then if you was under five seconds, I think there's that eligible for the yeah, coin? Under five is the coin. Under five under back five, to back right? is the coin. Yeah. Is the coin, right? And so there was structured pieces within that. And I, I mean, I think that's one of the things, some of the drill, I mean, I, we shoot build drills in the class, which I, the main reason that I keep, keep the billionaires, A, I get to pull, pull the shots or the split times off of that, right? So I can see what you're capable of as far as controlling the gun. So that's mm-hmm. a thing. The second thing what I bring up to guys is the, the bill drill has been shot by everybody, yeah. right? And so if you want to see how you, how you compare to a lot of people, Google bill drill, man, and you'll get so many videos of do shooting the bill drill. It'll be, you know, you can spend the rest of your life not watching the same video. <laughs> Right. And so, but it's a gauge for me to start to compare myself to and get out of my own little pond. Me, my, me, me, John, the mechanic and, and Bob, the milkman. And you know, this guy, that's a a, a house framer. I shoot better than all those guys. I start to convince myself that I'm really damn good. But maybe if I go look at that same drill being shot uh, by a bunch of people, I start to realize I am not as good as, as I thought I was. Yeah. I I forget who it was that said it to me, but they were like, if you're the best person in your shooting group, uh, then your shooting group sucks and you need to find a better one. Right. Um, so again, just always Watch reaching that. for faster and more accurate. There, there's always going to be somebody faster and more accurate than you are. And, uh, you know, not yeah. all great shooters have Instagram accounts either. So people walk into classes out of the woods and show everybody up. Nobody knows who they are, or where they came from. Dude, the second class I took with Todd Green, which was, uh, I think it was, it was a, sh- a shooting on the move mm-hmm. class. But there, I remember two guys from Idaho were in the class, um, and they, you know, we're doing the class intros, who you are, why you're here, all that kind of crap. And they're both like, well, you know, we've been shooting pistols for a little bit. We picked them up to be, defend our families and, and ourselves and thought that was important. So we've just been, you know, shooting on, uh, you know, after, after the farm work is done, we get together and we, we shoot. Uh, this, this is the first formal class we have ever been to. Um, you know, so we're just here hopefully trying to learn something, pick something up. And one of those dudes was the fastest shooter mm-hmm. in that class. He had never been to any formal training in Didn't his life. Didn't even know he right? was And good. so it's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm, I'm based on the fact they said they had been interneting everything. That was their level, their formal instruction. Mm-hmm. I think they had a pretty good idea that they were doing okay. Um, but I mean, that's pretty good validation too, right? It does, you don't necessarily need that exposure to get good at stuff. Which I guess is the next thing here, right? That I mean, I tell guys all the time: go to everybody you can, bro. Right? Get as many different opinions on this topic as you possibly mm-hmm. can. 
because we're all going to emphasize different things and 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 pretend, maybe a lot of the same stuff, but the way we emphasize it is different. And, and or you may find out that you got holes in your game, and and that's if I go to Chris's class, I don't want to have you every single drill that gets shot or every performance measure that you're looking for a guy. I don't want to go in there and crush the whole mm -hmm. class because what the hell did I get out of that then? Does that right. make sense? I want, I want you to structure this thing to show me where my weaknesses are, where my deficiencies are. And that gives me something to work on later on. And so with that being said, I don't want, I don't want guys to go to a different instructor every other day. Yeah. They need to go to a dude, pick up some shit, work on it for a little bit, and then go try a different guy and see what his take on that thing is. And what you might find is that you're already meeting what a lot of people's standards are in this industry. But, but hopefully they're showing you things that you ain't so good yeah. at, too. Yeah. Um, so how many you said you are on your website, I guess it says you've taken 5000 hours right of training. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, based on my when I retired my transcript, that's what it was more than. So that. But that ain't all gun shooting. Hypothetically, uh, I don't know if you've yeah. ever done this thought exercise, but hypothetically, if we give Bill Blowers a time machine and you can go back to when you first picked up uh, a pistol, what does your path look like from that point to get maybe not as good as you are now, but to get the most bang for your buck uh, skill wise from the time you picked up a pistol un until now? You took bad classes, I presume you'd leave out. You took bad advice, I presume you'd leave out. What is the most direct line to a high amount of skill or a, a passable amount of skill that you would take? I think the structured practice um, would be the biggest thing uh, versus what I spent a lot of time doing, like the probably the first 10 years of me shooting a pistol, which was just volume. Um, and because it was available to me in volume, I just shot and I got better at shooting just based on the fact that I was shooting a lot. Does that make sense? Um, in lieu of that, if I had, if I could go back in time and, and catch myself that first night on graveyard where I was like, okay, I'm going in the range. I'd be like, okay, let's, what, what are you trying to achieve? Right. And, and maybe help me define what my goal was and then show me how to do structured practice to achieve those goals. I did want to talk about right. um, a, fr a friend of yours and mine, Riley Bowman, has this chart since we were talking about standards and stuff like that. And it wasn't anything that yeah. I'd seen put on paper as well as he had. He's going to have it up on uh, it's concealedcarry.com slash good enough, I think is what he's going to put it under the URL on. But it pertains to this conversation because it, it, he broke down hypothetically. I mean, it's obviously not super scientific, but basically different standards and drills and things like that that somebody who was trying to, you know, open that door to get better or start down that path of getting better where they could kind of chart their, their path almost like it shows, this is what 95% of shooters are capable of. And, it, you know, I think it's like a, a 10 second fast test or something like that, which like we said, the fast test was two rounds to a three by five card, uh, slide lock reload, four rounds to an eight inch circle from concealment or duty rig and under five seconds is considered expert time. Riley says 95% of shooters can do that. I think he might've said 10 seconds. I don't have the chart pulled up, but I'll put it up for the people that are watching this on video. I'll put it on screen. Um, and then it also then has that broke down like 95% of shooters are this rank in USPSA. If you choose to compete, um, they can do this uh, casino drill. I think for the Tom Givens thing, they can do it in 27 seconds or whatever. And then it just breaks it on down there all the way up until you get to the uh, 0.1% of shooters, which is where your grandmasters are. But it was a really nice tool, I thought, that pertained to this conversation. I told him that we would be having this conversation. He was happy, you know, to let us use the chart and everything. But you yeah, could use that chart dude. really as an excellent roadmap to compare yourself. I, I think it get, what, what are your thoughts on that chart? I know you saw it, but like, I thought it gave a pretty accurate representation of where everyone's skill levels were. 
Yeah, I, I think he did a good job of breaking stuff down. And Ryan was a super smart guy. Um, and so to, taking the time to actually put something down uh, and then putting it out there, too, because you know he's going to get critiqued. Sure. And, you know, guys, well, that's crap and whatever, you know, so. <clears throat> I'm glad he, what he that he pushed forward with it and put it out there because I agree. With you. I think it is something as a new sheriff. I look at that. Okay, well he's saying if I can do this and I'm doing pretty good, uh, you know, in this realm or whatever. I, I think it's a good roadmap. Now there are some things on there that um, I mean I, I can do, but but I may not be able to do consistently. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are things on there that you know, as a drill, as an example, like any any drill, right? If the more I shoot it, the more. I'm becoming better at right. the drill, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm better at shooting. Um, and so I, there were times in my life where the, the, a sub two second build drill was a thing I wanted to do. And so I put the time and effort into it and I'll be darned if I couldn't do that consistently. I, I don't know if I could stand up right now in front of the camera and, and successfully yeah. do that on demand because I ha it's just not something that I practice a whole lot anymore. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's not that I don't practice shooting fast because I do. I just don't know if I could do a two second build drill on demand all of the right. damn time. And that don't mean other dudes can't, right? If that's their focus or if they're shooting that drill a lot, then you're going to get better at it. So I, I do think it's a good starting place. I think it's something to look at and, and maybe help gauge you. Uh, I do like the fact that he brought it, you know, he's talking about here's what the, here's the GM level and here's yep. the next level, you know, and, and giving you some stepping stones uh, to kind of gauge your practice and, and gauge where you are as a shooter. So in that regard, I think it's a pretty valuable tool, man, and, and, and good on, on Riley for, for, for taking the time to put it up, man. Yep. I, I think that we have both agreed that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, if somebody wants to get better, uh, starting with a shot timer is an excellent place to start. Set your standards from there. Uh, set yourself a baseline. See what your draw time is. See what your you know five shots on target is, something like that. And, and you mentioned, man, there are, if you've got a smartphone, you have yeah, shot timers. You can get there's free, free apps, apps that do it. I'm not going to name any, but I know there are just because there's too many to name. Um, yep. And there's also very cheap ones that are better than the free yep. ones. So, I mean, you can get decent cell phone based shot timer for nine ninety nine for yep. Christ's sakes. It may not do well on the crowded range. It's going to pick up a bunch of ambient noise and other stuff, but uh, for dry it fire. It will at least give you a taste like to where you can say like, okay, I'm enjoying this enough, or I'm really seeing enough of an improvement to where I do want to make that next investment for you know, I, I don't know what the cheapest shot timer is. I want to say like 80, 90 bucks, um, maybe maybe less than that now. Actually, I think Riley Bowman's got one that's becoming more affordable. Um, check that out. I know we're going to plug his website in this as well. Um, yeah. But uh, and then moving on from there, you know, start comparing yourselves. If you do, if you do feel the the bug bite you, you know, you really want to get better. You want to start down your path of excellence. Start finding drills like the fast drill, the bill drill, casino drill, all these different drills from reputable instructors. And again, man, take training. That's why Walther has a defense division. That's why we're happy to support you guys is because we, it's not like we just picked, you know, six random, uh, bad a dudes, uh, and, a, and an awesome chick. Um, we picked you guys because we've, you know, I've trained with every single one of you guys. I've taken all of your guys' classes. Um, my predecessor took all your guys' classes. We believe in what you teach and we wanted to basically do the legwork to vet quality solid instructors who are going to be able to take somebody who is at any skill level any skill level at all and you know take them two three days and really make them get their money's worth out of you guys you know we we really believe in you guys and we're happy to support you so uh bill i, I do want to thank you for being on the defense division i want to thank you for being here on the podcast with us today uh first inaugural episode of walter radio uh, where can people go to learn more about you uh, so my website, www.tap-rack.com. I am on Instagram, Tap Rack Tactical, all one word. I'm on Facebook. The Facebook business page was hacked. Um, and so I can 
stuff from Instagram gets posted there, but I can't, I can't influence that page anymore. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? I can't like get in there. Uh, and then, so the better best on Facebook is just my name, Bill Blowers, like flowers with a B. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. it myself, you can send me an email from the website. You can uh, call us on the phone from the website, all that kind of jazz uh, and get out there. And I, yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. This is a, I hope people find this interesting. I, I thought it was a good conversation. I kind of forgot we were doing a podcast for a while. <laughs> I was just bullshit. About shooting we stuff. do that all the time anyway, though, man. I think one time I, I, I walked around the grocery store for like two hours while we were talking about shooting one time just on the phone. So, um, thank you again, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walther Radio. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. At Walther Arms, it's our duty to create the world's best performing firearms. It's your duty to be ready. Thanks again for listening.